The following audio is from Hope Hill Church. To learn more about Hope Hill Church, please visit hopehillchurch.org. Lord Jesus, I just want to start, Father, you are amazing, mighty God. And Father, it is, I can't even put it in my little tiny brain how big and amazing you are that you love me so much. You did not let me die to myself. sin, the sins of these people. Father, you call us, we can boldly approach the throne of grace. We can come to you. So Lord, we right now come to you and ask that you would have your way in this service. You would, you would speak through me, Lord. And that hearts would be transformed. Father, I was so convicted over this message, even just walking in the stinking door. I pray you would speak to my heart, speak to the hearts that are here, to come ready to eat what you have for us and then be ready for that meal. In Jesus' name, I, I'm holding this song paper because I will lift high in the lowest valley. I had a story planned for my message, and coming in this morning, I met a guy named Mitchell. Has anybody ever met Mitchell yet? He's, he's fairly new. Mitchell, just kind of help me out, Mitchell. How long you been here? How long you been here, Mitchell? A few months. And he's in there serving, busting away, and moving crates. And I'm a pastor, and I had a lot to do, so I just kind of just walked on by. set up, I'm preaching a message today, and I just was convicted, but I didn't stop and say hello this morning, and he said something to me as he pushed a crate and walked by, and I just said, yeah, yeah, cool, brother, all right, I'll get you later, man, next time, and we're pushing this big giant mammoth of a crate, number nine, up the hill, and uh, we're both out of breath, got to talk to him a little bit. And he preached a message to me that I will never forget. And it was good. And I jokingly said, hey man, you ready to preach? Because I think you should preach. But he told me a story, his, his testimony in a, in a really amazing way. And he just kind of shouted out, he had something to say and he was proud to say it because his God is good. And if your God is not good, I question really Do you have a God? Because if you do have a God, he deserves the praise of our lips. He deserves the breath we breathe. He deserves my steps when I walk. He deserves every ounce of me should give him glory because he is good all the time, right? And so my brother here that he he talked to me a little bit and he's like, man, I I just love when people are excited about the Lord because I was like, He's like, Gary, let me, let me tell you uh, how I just love Jesus, man. I used to drink a lot, and I was partying, and 18, right? Okay, and he was really feeling convicted. God was talking to him. God was calling him, but he was busy 
living it up. I already had a story planned to fit my lesson well. God smacked me upside the head as I walked in the door that day. And he starts telling me the story of how he really was the struggling with sin. And that's our story today. I want to give into it. It's hard. I just was, by the same hand, I knew I should be walking this way. So I decided I'm going to go to this party even though I know I shouldn't. And even before I take a drink, I'm praying, Lord, why why am I doing this? Yeah, this is getting good. I know I shouldn't be here, Lord. I'm having a party and whatever he's doing, probably, you know, just kind of living it up. And he's just feeling convicted. And the conviction's kind of stirring inside of him. And he tells his homeboy, get out of there, get in the car, and didn't have an accident, but had a flat tire. And there's, and I'm drunk. Oh, no, this is not good, right? Not good. So I'm feeling conviction. I don't know what's happening, and I decide to, Think of what's going to happen. I'm about to go get in the back of this car and get locked up, you know, do the whole thing. And I'm used to that because that's happened to me. So I had another story. We had another time because I don't have time for that. Um, but this situation here, the policeman gets a little, he's like, okay. I call my sermon today the message, Case Dismissed. His case was dismissed. If he would have stuck around, smelled a little bit of the breath, he probably would have been like this, right? Get on board, Lord! You know, whatever, whatever. I don't know what cops do. Help me out, is that right? (laughs) All right. So um, it was dismissed. Out the door. And then he decides to turn around. And there's a church right there. And he walks into the church and grace hit him. I'm not talking weak grace. I'm talking a lady named Grace. And grace starts to share with him. junk of being drunk, God rescued me, pulled me out. That was a better story than the last one. And it goes right to the place of grace. God, I love how God rescues us. And when we get our eyes off of ourself, and when we're in tune to the scripture, and in tune to the spirit, man, we're unstoppable. story really stirred up my heart. If you would be attentive to it. The story starts up, 
with parentheses in your Bible. If you want to turn there, we're going to follow the series of John in chapter 8. So if you have your Bible, you can open there with me. This particular passage of Scripture has been a key kick in the butt to me in my Christian walk. And it kind of shattered my faith, if you will, a little bit, because a Mormon dude told me it shouldn't be in the Bible. And we kind of, John kind of came out of the womb like Jesus, you know, not, not really, but he just had a heart for the Lord. And he got saved and died. I'm like, hallelujah, Jesus. jealous of it, but I seen that in my brother. And it called me out like, man, you really shouldn't do that. You're a heretic. So I knew the truth. I grew up and there was consequences to that not doing the truth. It's called a whooping. Um, an air tub to the men group. <laughs> um, but with that came a place that I understood really caused me a place to really study the scriptures. Because it bothered me, if you have your Bible open, look at 53 of chapter 7. It says this. I'm going to, actually before 53, in parentheses, it might say this in your Bible, and early and most reliable manuscripts and other ancient writings. I'm reading out of the NIV, so it says a little bit different if you don't have that, um, or not even in John. So I really admire and respect John MacArthur. He's, uh, he won't even touch this passage of Scripture because he just thinks it shouldn't be there. And John Piper, if you've heard John mention that name, he, he, he's like, I only preach on this maybe once a, a year because there's enough out there to say, should it really even be? Names like Don Carson, Bruce Matzer, Leo Morris, and some other names I don't know how to say that have got big, long letters. But these people are smart people. They're theologians. They're people that are scholars and study the scriptures and really look at every jot and tittle, and they put it all together. And if even the name is not right or it's pronounced a different way, like, for instance, we're going to get into a little bit later, but in this passage, the word scribes, if you have that later on in Pharisees, that's the only one time it's used in the book of John. That's a big kick to kick it out because those guys believe it should be in a part of Luke's gospel after Luke 21, 38. But I'm not going to get into a big study. I was listening to John Piper talk about this, and he took like 40 minutes to talk about all these writings, which was really, really good, but he also said, feel terrible that I'm using my time to preach and talking about nuts and bolts. And it's important. And at an early age in the 11th grade, I saw, man, this, this scripture is so important because these same guys that think it shouldn't be here in this place believe it is right and true. And it is actually a real deal. Other historians note this happened. And this is a true heart, just a 
replacing maybe made a little issue. At the end of the day, I think it's perfectly where it is. I think it goes well, and that's where we're going. All right, so we're done with this. All right, so with all that being said, I think this passage really speaks to our hearts, and it starts off by kicking you in the butt. Right here it says in 53, each went off to his own home. We heard last week from John, they were at what tabernacle? Feast. Feast of what? Had tents. Help me out, someone. Feast of booze or feast of tabernacle. So there was a time where they all came together. They built the little tents, and they're all there in the village. And this is a, I, I just think this is a great place to get stuck in sin. It's not the normal thing. It's real crowded. I can just accidentally kind of sneak in the wrong tent right here and nobody know the difference and just come on out and be all right, right? So I think this is a real legit thing that could have happened and it's kind of the timing and the situation that a situation happened. And let's get to it. It said each went to his own home. Jesus went to his big mansion. Do you see that in the text? No, it didn't say that because Jesus did not have a home. The scripture says he had not a place to lay his head, but he went to the Mount of Olives. I got stuck right there when I was just reading over this. Jesus often went to a place of solitude to heal his flock. He got away from the noise. Do you get away from the noise? Do I get away from the noise? Do we go be in the presence of the Father and say, Lord, speak to my heart? How dare I come before you not ready on my knees in prayer and asking myself, am I sold out to you? Because it's easy for me to have an agenda, for me to preach something that can turn the lights down and make you feel whatever. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter about me. At the end of the day, not one jot or one tittle will pass away. His word stands forever. And this is what he did. So it goes on to say, he's out, he went to his place, the sun comes up, and he appears in verse 2 at dawn. He appeared again. Again, why is again there? Because it was customary for Jesus to go to this place and speak truth and be about his father's business. Is it again for us? Can we say like David, I long to be in your presence? This to be the doorkeeper of your door? To call that a place of wanting to be? Better is one day there than somewhere else? Do we say that? He's there, and he's at this place, and he's in the temple court, and all the people, that means everybody in Texas and everywhere, right? No, that doesn't mean all. All that was there in the temple, that's who that was. All the people that were there gathered around, they sat down, and he heard him teach. This is amazing. I want you to see something. Jesus was amazing. And we should, in Proverbs 8, 17, it says this, I love them, meaning the Lord, and his things, his precepts, and those that seek me early shall find me, he says. These guys coming to the temple, are they coming to seek and find him? Or are they coming to seek and arrest him? Seek and accuse him? They have alternative motives to accuse Jesus. And I believe 
I have nothing to stand on, just Gary's thoughts. This might have been stirred up in the little crowd. I know Cletus over here has got some issues with being kind of hanging around the wrong people and be a little loose over here. Just kind of be organic and put them right there. See what happens. Something, something happened. And now they have a reason to accuse Jesus because we know the law says if we kill him, that's wrong. If that's what the law says, we should stone him to death. And if we do that, then he looks bad because Jesus is showing compassion for him. Oh, this is perfect, guys. Let's set him up. Maybe catch 22. Yeah, we got him. I think that's the motives here. Mark 1, if you want to take notes, it says this, and the people were amazed at his teachings because he taught them as one who had authority and power, not as the teachers of the law. Matthew 7, 28 and 29 says this, and Jesus, when he was finished saying these things, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught with authority, not as the teachers of the law. And when someone busts your balls, you get upset? Well, I know what I said was good, man. What's your problem? These guys were upset, wanting to accuse Jesus. You come up in here and act like you're Jesus or somebody, you know, right? coming up in here and trying to act like you're perfect. We know about your bro, James. I heard him smack you in the back of the head. That's, that's in Gary's version. But his, even his brothers didn't believe in Jesus, didn't believe he was the Messiah until after he died and rose again. But the crowd does amazing things. They get up early to go hear Jesus. We get up and go see Jesus. These are crowds. The next verse I want to share is this in Luke 12, 1. Listen to this. Meanwhile, the crowd was so many thousands and thousands gathered to hear him. And there were so many, they were trampling and stepping on people. And Jesus began to speak to his disciples, saying, be on your guard. And Jesus went on to say, these people, maybe they were ready to accuse him. Maybe there were some in there to hear Jesus. You want to hear Jesus. I want to hear Jesus. Am I willing to step on someone to get to Jesus? We should be so eager and so hungry to be in the presence of God that, like Mitchell, man, let me tell you this amazing thing that happened to me, and my life is so changed. I am different because of this crash that happened in my life. That fired me up. I want someone else to know that. I want someone else to see grace. Let's go to see him in person like he did. To really experience that. It goes on to say this. I'm going to keep reading. It says, at dawn, the people came down. They came around, sat around, verse 3, and the teachers of the law and the Pharisees. Some of your Bibles say scribes brought in a woman caught in adultery and made her stand before the group. And Jesus said, 
he say that? No, he didn't say that, right? He didn't say anything. And Jesus said, and they said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery and the law of Moses commands us to stone her. Throughout the scripture, we can go back and look at the law, and the law does say that, that they deserve to be stoned to death, man and woman. There is no man, again, hence why I think Jesus Here we see this woman laying there. They're ready maybe with stones in their hands to do what they said they were going to do. But really, verse 6 tells us the intent of their heart. And Jesus knows the intent of our heart. He knows our thoughts before we think them. He can zero in every one of you without even me being here and saying, you need to fix that. You need to surrender that. Not so prideful now, are you? Work on that. Yes, I see you are walking humbly with your God. He sees it all, whether good or bad. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere looking upon the just and the unjust. He sees it. We cannot hide from him. The eyes of the Lord are everywhere. He sees it. And he looks and he sees this guy. It's cool right here how they call him teacher. Some texts say rabbi. Rabbi means more of a a meaning like like we're bros. And he says, you can't call me rabbi. He didn't say that. I don't want to paint this picture for you. Go back over to John 3. You see Nicodemus, someone that knew the law. Remember, he snuck out at night to find Jesus, and he said, man, I know these things. I hear these things, but something's not right. I'm missing something. What do I need to do? He says, you must be born again. You must understand who the Lamb of God is. And if you go back even further in chapter 2, we see that John the Baptist is saying, look, behold, the Lamb of God, the one who what? Takes away Sin of the world, right? And later on, he says it again. He says, look, now here he is, the Lamb of God. So to understand Rabbi, we first need to understand the Lamb of God and his blood was shed for you and me. And when that blood was shed and atoned for us and the sin and the wickedness that we are, only then can we really truly say, Rabbi, Father, you are really the one I should worship, not just teacher. And so they they don't even know who they're addressing. They're just quick to point a finger and say, yeah, you say these things, but really you just act like you're that. That He knows their intent and their heart. And he goes on to say, can someone tell me when I'm supposed to be done? Can someone tell me? John usually goes to about 1.30, right? I'll just go to 2, all right? All right. So if you don't stop me, someone in the back, I'm just going to keep going. All right. All right. So 
It goes on and he says, the woman caught in the act, in verse 5, he says, the law of Moses commands us that we can stone her. Now what do you say? They're like, yeah, we got Jesus. What are you going to do about that, huh? What you got? You can't fix that? Magic that one? Spit on his ear? I don't know, you're going to do something? Right? They're like, we've seen you do these things. Jesus is amazing. He says, in verse, let's look at verse 6. He says, they were using these questions to trap him, right? As a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. This doesn't say anything about have notes and you want to write this down, Exodus 19, 10 and 11, it says, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them, that means set them apart, today and tomorrow, have them wash their clothes, get rid of their stink, their sin, and their jacked upness, throw it away, and be ready, because on the third day, the day of the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai, the side of that mountain. Jesus bends down. All throughout the Old Testament, the Old Testament is a picture to what's coming. And if you don't read the Old Testament like that, you're reading it the wrong way. But I am not good enough. Moses cannot do it. I am not me. Don't look to me. The one who is coming is coming. And now we're seeing it. He bends down. God the Father bends down, writes on the tablets. Look at the next verse, 1920. If you don't have it up there, you can write notes. Exodus 1920. The Lord descended from the mountain, and he wrote on it. He descended and did it. Verse Exodus 31, 18. And then the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, and he gave him the two tablets covenant of the law, tablets of stone, and inscribed by his finger. Jesus, if you go back to chapter 8, Jesus bends down. I believe with his finger, the same finger that wrote the Ten Commandments is writing on the ground. hung up on what did he write? Our youth pastor growing up, I think John might have been here for his sermon, he said, dude's a jerk. I don't agree with that. I don't think that doctrine kills you. I think he's an idiot. No, I'm just kidding. Um, I think he zeroes in to all of their junk and realizes everybody that's there, I wrote the Ten Commandments. You guys were accusing this lady. struggling with this. I know you don't have a phone and you can't look at pornography real secretly, but I know you're doing this instead. I know you're struggling with this or that. He zeroes in. We don't know, 
but the crowd, I'm assuming, is watching him as he bends down and he starts to write on the ground with his finger. But Jesus bent down and started writing on the ground with his finger, verse 7. And they kept on questioning him. Some of the crowd was like, eh, whatever. It was just five beers and I just got one DWI or it was just, it was just one girl. No big deal. My wife will forgive me. Uh, it's just that business deal. They're kind of losers anyway. They deserve that. He says, as he stands up and says to them, if any one of you is without sin, kids, but so does my community group, you know, so um, that guy deserved to be given the finger. He shouldn't have did that. Is that real? Because that's real, right? We have these things that we think when we get to church, we got to button it up and get together and be all Jesus-y. But when that door shuts, man, it gets stinky in there real fast. Again, he does what? You guys have your Bibles open. He does what? He stoops down again. He has to stoop down because of Exodus 32. Jesus is up on the mountain and he's having a, yeah, good God time. Remember, he sees a bush on fire and he... He's like, whoa, yeah, man, this is good, right? And he comes down. He sees some craziness. They're, they're doing what? They're worshiping this idol. They're probably having the same kind of stuff going down with John chapter 8. Getting a little crazy up in here. And he's like, oh, no. Because God is happy. And he said, way to go, Moses, you idiot. No, he didn't say that. He goes, terrible people, I'm going to kill them all. And Moses is like, no, Lord, no, please, don't do it. What does he become? He gets in the way. He's like, Lord, please have mercy. And Moses gets a little closer to the crowd. He sees this golden stuff. Oh, man, now it's on like Donkey Kong, man. He's like, throws the stones down. He makes him drink it. He's like, man, this is jacked up, right? And all that, God has to bend down again. Exodus 34, 1 through 5. The Lord says to Moses, chisel out two stone tablets like you did the first ones, crazy. Go get them. These goofy people keep jacking around and not doing the right thing. He says, be ready in the morning because you need to write it again. Verse 4, 
So Moses chiseled out two stone tablets like the first ones and went up to the Mount, Mount Sinai early in the morning as the Lord commanded him. And he carried the two stones down with his hands and the Lord came down. Cloud stood before him and a flame illuminated him. Jesus, in the text, we go back, it says this. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground again. At those who heard, began to go away. Older ones first. Never want to hear. Why is that? Probably because they had more sin to than getting out of the 4,000 years of wilderness. And really examining themselves. Man, if, if you don't come into this place that we call a place of worship and realize that we deserve hell, you're wrong. Too many of us Christians come in here like, oh yeah, that's good, I'm good. I can just go see Jesus whenever. No, that is not right. And if that is your theology or your thinking is jacked up. All of us in here, me included, deserves a first-class ticket to hell. We don't deserve to be here. Oh, but the story's not over there, right? Because one day something happened. And that one day that happened was Jesus in the flesh in front of them. And he says, if you really knew the scriptures, you guys are coming to me like the law. You guys are scribes. He doesn't say all this, but he's thinking all this because he knows that's what they're thinking. Oh yeah, we know it all and we got it together. But Jesus says in John 5, 39, he says, you study the scriptures diligently. 5, 39. Because you think in them, you have eternal life. You're not going to have eternal life until you drink living water. You're not going to have living water until you taste his goodness. You're not going to see it until you dive in and you see the broken lamb of God was blood for you and me. And until we can get to that place that I deserve hell and that I am nothing compared to him and only because of him can I righteously stand before a mighty God. It's gonna make us go, and I wanna tell everybody that. That there is enough room for you as there was for me. And he says this to them and he says, The oldest one's left. Only Jesus was left with the woman that was standing there. And Jesus stood up. And when he stood up, he said, you're jacked up, get out of here. You're too far gone. He said, while you were sitting here at church, we're worshiping God, you're thinking about that girl across the aisle. You were just caught in a sin. He doesn't say any of that. He sees her attitude and he feels pity. Just as he sees our stubbornness, our pridefulness, our Pharisee, sodical, if that's a word, 
better than ours. We're, we're, we're the best. He sees through all that junk. And the crowd splits. And he tells her, where are your accusers? There aren't any. Go and sin no more. I would love to be a little cockroach or a little something there because the crowd was empty, but I would love to be that guy. stood up. And I'm sure he bends down his neck from his high rollers while we are still celebrating Christ dying for you holy and ungodly righteous for you and came back to life so you can see the light. And he says, go Are there any condemned people here going to condemn you? There's nobody here. But you're like, well, maybe they're just behind the tree. Maybe they're just over there. Maybe they're hiding under that donkey. No. They're pointing a finger. At the end of the day, it doesn't matter if someone's pointing a finger at you. Because you are a child of the blood, bought, redeemed, saved, sanctified, and whatever else you want to add to it. Because I am redeemed. I'm just happy, right? And I'm excited that I am saved from my sin. And if you walk in that and you act like that, people are going to go up to you and go, what do you have and how can I get it? And if you've never been asked that, because I've been, and I'm not saying this to toot my own horn, but it should be apparent that you are different. It should be apparent that you've been with Jesus. It should be apparent that people can come to you because they're dying inside and they need a drink of the living water. And you have it. Oh, I just got a little bit left. So we're going to leave it there. I don't want to share it with those guys. That's too uncomfortable. Jesus said, go. He didn't give you, do this, do that. I got 10 steps for you. He said, he said, go. And when you go, I will fill you and I will use you and I will do what I want through you. Are you going to be obedient and go? Are you going to be obedient to say, here I am, Lord, send me. Am I going to say, yes, Lord, I am jacked up. If you knew my thoughts or when I was talking, if they were to go across there, everyone in here would get up and leave. But today... Ethan was willing to give me his thoughts, and we're going to watch that. Just kidding, Ethan. He got scared. But really, if I knew your thoughts, I wouldn't be talking to you either. That's why I'm not Jesus, and I'll never be Jesus, and it doesn't matter what I think. Too many pastors sit up here and want to toot our horn, and it's about me. It's not. It's about the Savior and the only one that could redeem you or I came our place and told that woman, get up, sin no more. That's stupid. Sure, she left and probably screwed up again. Jesus setting her up to screw up and fail again. Jesus wasn't saying they were going to be perfect, but his point was he told other people in the gospel of John, go, turn from your sin 
It means having an attitude on Christ that I am sorry and broken over my sin and knowing that my sin causes my relationship to have a strain with the Father. And if I want to daily go before him, I must have clean hands. That's why Moses said, you got to clean yourself, consecrate yourself, be ready because I'm coming. Jesus is coming. He has already came and he's already lived and in my life and hopefully yours that people see it. And that we're living in a way that's going to bring honor to him. He tells us to go on as the crowd leaves and all that happens in John three seventeen, it says this, and God did not send his own son into this world to condemn the world, but what? To save the world. Look with me back to Exodus. If you want to write it down, Exodus 34, six through seven. This is the ghost in no more. It's amazing how the Old Testament just mirrors what God has been doing and is doing. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming the Lord, the Lord is compassionate and gracious. God, slow to anger, abounding in love. Faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and thousands, forgiving the wickedness, rebellion, and sin. He's waiting to forgive you. He's waiting to forgive me. So we need to get off of our high horse and realize that we can't do it on our own. We need to go to the true one who is spotless, who is righteous, and says, come. It goes on, it says, no one, no one condemn me. And he says, go sin no more. I want to challenge you. As we take a moment, as the band comes up, they're in here. Um, where are we at? What has God called us to do? What is next steps for us? Listen to this verse. James 2.10 says this, for whoever keeps the whole law, yet stumbles just once is guilty of breaking all of them. I'm not that bad, Gary. If you're sitting in this congregation today and you're not convicted, I don't think you're a follower of Jesus. I don't. Because I will not be like Jesus until I see you. I need to be pruned. I need to be cut off. And I need to remain in him. And as he's the vine dresser and he trims me up and he cuts me, it's hurt at times. Oh, I really needed that. Ah, uh. Greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. And he wants to do something amazing through you and through me. He needs clean hands. He needs clean feet so he can send us out. I just want you, as the band starts to play, I want you to ask that question, what is God calling me to do? What's next for me? What is in the way? What is, what is really an issue in my life that I'm not doing right? What is God wanting me 
to surrender? What is God wanting me to um, give up? One song, I don't know if I've ever said this in here, but I hate that song, I Surrender All. I hope we're not singing it. Because I do not surrender all. I keep it. And examine yourself. Ask the Lord, what, Lord, are you wanting me to let go of? What, Lord, are you doing in my life that I can make you become greater and I can become less? As John 3.30 says, he must become greater and I must become less. It's not about me. It's about Jesus. So the whole thing about the case being dismissed was at that end when he says, go and sin no more. There was nobody there. He said, case dismissed, gone. There's nothing there. There are no accusers. No one is pointing a finger at you. What's your problem? Come to Jesus. He's waiting. He's waiting. Dear Lord, I pray as we Take these next steps. We ask you to examine our hearts. Father, your word says you know our thoughts. You know the intent of our hearts. Father, I pray that you be the mighty surgeon you are. And you go in there. Your word says in Hebrews that it can cut and pierce our soul right into the heart. You would do whatever you need to do. Father, I know I'm wicked at different things. Sometimes I do want to just... Father... Prune that out of me. I want to be more like you. That means I got to cut something off. Father, I ask you, examine me. Try me. See if there's anything wrong with me that I would be right before you. And that would be before my eyes day after day. Thank you, Jesus. In your name we pray.